Welcome to the Boss Podcast. This podcast provides today's sellers with sales tactics that will help them to reach their goals. Your host, Mark McGinnis, brings you diverse guests, high-quality discussion, and valuable insights on every single show. Mark is the author of Tactical Pipeline Growth, as well as an in-demand sales trainer and coach for B2B companies all over the world. If you want to be better at outbound sales, you're definitely in the right place. Now let's get into the podcast. You have to love the LinkedIn gods, don't you? I can't even remember how I found Aaron Evans, but somehow I found him on LinkedIn. And as it turns out, we are very aligned in our selling strategy. So I just had to have him on the podcast. Aaron is the Sales Enablement Director for Global Data PLC and a top 20 Sales Enablement Influencer of 2020. The thing you're going to really love about Aaron is he has some great ways of talking about selling. His anecdotes are top shelf, and this means you're much more likely to remember them. As an example, he talks about why you should treat your pipeline like it's your house party and how sales methodology and sales process should be thought of like baking a cake. Now, I know this sounds off the wall, but wait till you hear these and more from Aaron as we discuss qualification. For those of you who like a little giveaway, wait until the closing credits of this episode where I have something you might like to take advantage of. Now, let's jump in and hear from Aaron Evans. Welcome to the Boss Podcast. This week, I'm joined by Aaron Evans. Aaron is the Director of Sales Enablement at Global Data PLC, based out of the London, UK. Aaron, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Big fan of you guys as well. So, uh, yeah, really excited about this. I'm really looking forward to our chat today. So, Global Data PLC, you've got a couple of thousand employees there. You must be pretty busy. Yeah, very busy. I mean, between me and my colleague, we look after, I think it's just under 500 salespeople between two sales enablers. So yeah, <laughs> I think we always describe it as like herding cats while spinning plates, a bit of a handful. Yeah. So you must have seen just about everything good and bad that comes out of salespeople's mouths, email and everything else, I would imagine. Yeah. I mean, during my career, I mean, I've been doing sales enablement for 13 years. So imagine how many hours of call listing I've clocked up over the years. So yeah, I've pretty much seen it all from like clients' dog dying while they're on the call, right through to all sorts of funny stuff. So yeah, it's been an interesting journey. Yeah. Well, yes, I've listened to a few, it feels like a million calls myself. Do you like listening to calls? I actually love it. I love listening to calls. Yeah, I do. I really do, actually. It's been made a lot easier with certain technologies out there, like conversational intelligence tools. It used to be a lot harder where someone would literally like, you know, come in with a tape recorder and play it. But um, yeah, I, I love it. What it does for me is it keeps me quite close to the cold face. I get to hear what clients are saying as well as what our reps are saying. And I, I learn a thing or two myself as well, right? So yeah, I, I absolutely love it. Yeah, I agree. So you were recently named in the top 20 sales enablement influences in 2020 by the Sales Enablement Collective. Congratulations on that. That's a great award. Thank you very much. Yeah, it's a bit of a feather in the cap, actually. Uh, I'm really unexpected. So, um, yeah, very, very proud of it. And uh, they're a great organization as well. So they're like, a, you know, one of the sort of governing bodies, if you will, of sales enablements. Yeah, and I wasn't sure if it was listed in order. I had a quick look and I saw you were listed as number four. So even so, very well done. Yeah, I pretend it's in order. So I'll take four. <laughs> <laughs> so, of course, part of this process is a quick squeeze at your LinkedIn profile. And it says that you specialize in highly immersive sales training. It sounds like you're dipping people into water, you know, like highly immersing people. Maybe you're training Navy SEALs or something in sales training. What does that mean? And can you provide an example? Yeah, of course. There's a fine line with sales training, right? I think a lot of the time, sales trainers go through the motions and, and are literally transacting knowledge. One of the things I always try to create, one of the environments I always try to create is people to leave there with a completely different way of thinking, to think about things in a different way. 
and changing their perspective, their, their perception and their mindset for me is really, really important. You know, just a really simple example, like the, just the assumptions that we make, right? So if I was to ask you to draw a house now, pretty confident you draw a little pentagon with two windows in it, crosses in the windows, and then a probably a chimney with smoke coming up the chimney. When we question around that, we realize that no one ever lives in a house like that, right? No one's got two windows on their house. No one lives in a detached house, certainly not in England anyway. You know, it's not Dickensian London. You don't have smoke billowing out of the chimney of your, of your property. So it's about changing those perceptions and changing those thought patterns that we've got and make people think about things in a different way. And I love getting people to do what I call metacognition, which is thinking about thinking so that you create a sense of self-awareness. And that often makes people better salespeople because they're constantly analyzing their own performance. And that's so critical in sales. Yeah, I like that. That's a great way to describe it. There's some very, very good sales training presenters, but I do feel like sometimes those people, then they're very good at what they do. You know, it's almost a bit like a, a rehearsed show. You know, they go and present, unload a whole bunch of information to tell people, and then you don't, they go away. So, you know, there's probably a place for those, but I do like the way that you're positioning yourself there. Highly immersive. Love it. So, Aaron, today we're going to talk about qualification, sales qualification. Of course, here in Australia, we have these things called koalas. So we call them qualification. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Qualification, why are we talking about that today? I spend a lot of time talking about it, right? There's this complete myth in sales that you want a gigantic pipeline. Well, actually, you don't. You want a smaller pipeline of really well-qualified deals. Say that again. I had no idea you were going to come out with that. That's gold. I'm 100% aligned. Say that again, please, Aaron. I think there's this myth in sales that you need a gigantic pipeline full of opportunities. Well, I think that's complete. That's a nonsense. What you actually need is a smaller pipeline with really well-qualified opportunities. The, the way I like to think about it is like organizing a party, right? If you are hosting a party in your house tonight, Mark, you wouldn't just randomly go out on the street and grab any old sort of prostitute or drug dealer to come into your party. You'd be conscious about who you invite, right? They've got to be friends. They've got to be a laugh. They've got to bring their own booze. And that's what pipeline should be. People should prove to you they deserve to be in your pipeline as opposed to you constantly inviting them into your pipeline. I think sales managers typically have different priorities to salespeople. And I know that sounds counterintuitive, but I genuinely think it is. A large part of their job is reporting up the chain to what's going on in their business. And the easy answer to that is I've got a shitload of stuff in my pipeline. We've made a shitload of calls. But the reality is, is that it's not about the volume. It's about the quality. It's probably a bit of both, right? You know, I always say this about demos. Like people are like, oh, I booked the demo. It's like, well, no, you haven't. You should be prescribing a demo. So you find out what the problem is the client has. And then the logical prescription is the demo. If I called my mum today and said, mum, do you want to sit at a demonstration? She'd probably go, oh, yeah, you're my favorite son. Of course I will. Then we're going to turn into business. But managers, I think, like the idea of having these gigantic pipelines so their business looks full. And again, I think this is really key to me, particularly if you're starting in a new role. People get excited about the first deal. The first deal means absolutely fucking nothing to me because you're creating a boom and bust culture. People get excited. They close their first deal and then they don't close anything for the next six months. What I care about is meaningful pipeline that's progressing through the sales stages. If you're three months into a job and you've built great pipeline, you're going to be great because you're sorting yourself out for the next 12 months. So I think it's about looking at the leading and lagging indicators and actually deciding what's genuinely going to create long-lasting success. And pipeline that's well-qualified does that. I absolutely agree. And you know, it's in my book, Tactical Pipeline Growth. Most of the people that are listening to this would have heard that, and I'm 100% aligned. So I think this whole fill up your pipeline so that you can say, I've got a huge amount of volume, just creates some real challenges for people because they feel safe with all those fake names in their pipeline. I think a good example of that, right, is that that luxury is not afforded to any other area of the business. Imagine if your recruitment team was like that. 
where they're like, right, we've got 10 vacancies. Shit, let's just get bums on seats. Let's go and find 10 people off the street so they can go, yay, we've done it. No other part of the business just concentrate on numbers. For some reason, sales, it's this obsession with activity that I've never really understood, but some managers live by it. Well, is that because, and I know we're getting a bit off the path, but we're sort of going a bit towards coaching. So apologies, let's not spend too much time on it. But is that because it's easier for sales managers to measure volume than it is quality? You know what I mean? Like, so if I've got $10 billion or $10 million worth of pipeline across my sales team, then I can report up that we're going to have a pretty good quarter where it's much harder and takes a lot more time for me as a sales manager to dig into that pipeline and figure out which ones are really going to close in this quarter. And, you know, like that's a, a much more time. You know, it's going to take a lot more time. Do you agree or is there something else going on there? No, I think the, the key problem is the pressure of number, right? And I think, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a coach, as, and I'm sure you are as well, right? And you probably know this, is that when the pressure's on, the first thing to go is coaching. And I think sales is unique in the sense that you've got to make something happen within a time frame with a tangible result, which is money, someone else's money. So what typically happens is, is that people don't sit there and go, right, spend the first three months of your job or the first three months building pipeline, and then you're going to be successful for the next 12 months. They go, you've got a number, you've got to hit it now, go, do it at all costs. And I think that's what it is, is the pressure of making something happen that involves transacting money. Pressure is an, is an amazing thing because as soon as you put pressure on people, they start doing really fucking stupid things. Really stupid thing. You've seen it, right? People picking up the phone the last quarter of the day. They spent six months building a deal and they call the customer going, if you buy it today, we'll give you a 20% discount. And the customer's like, I couldn't buy it today if you give it to me for free because we've got to navigate a buying process. So you see people do really stupid things when it comes to the pressure of number and time. Yep. Look, we've all been in those situations. And if I was to be completely honest, 15 years ago, I was probably the sales manager that told my sales team to do that. You know, it all comes with sales maturity. And when it comes to sales maturity, I think... Reps who learn to say no or know when there is no match, that's when they become mature. Like when they stop seeing everybody as a potential client and start qualifying really heavily, disqualifying, I think that's when people start to get a little bit more, a lot more mature. I think that's the point that people really turn in sales. Yeah, I guess it's a mindset shift, right? Like first of all, I think a lot of salespeople go into a conversation thinking they're subservient to the client, like the client's more important than them. Um, but what they don't realize is that they've got a proposition that can actually help the client and their time's just as valuable. So if you change your mindset from qualifying to a yes to qualifying to a no, you realize just how good you are at sales. You want to get to the no as quick as possible. You want people to turn around and go, no, we're never going to buy your product. We don't have budget and we're not going to have budget for the next two years. So you can go, awesome, well, look, good luck and uh, all the best, as opposed to selling to that person for nine months without finding out they've got no budget. So here's the thing, right? That mindset shift of stop qualifying to a yes, get the no as quick as possible. Because the most important commodity we have is time in sales. If you're spending time selling to people who are going to never buy your products, you're a huge drain of money and resources to any organization. And uh, salespeople need to learn that really, really quickly. Yeah, I agree. And I think sales is, is so funny because it's, I can't think of another part of the business where if your prospect doesn't say no, we assume it's a yes. You know, it's that happiest thing. They didn't say no. So, they're good to go, right? <laughs> well, no, but they didn't say yes either. <laughs> Where like, you know, I say this in pipeline reviews all the time is that yes is a great, no's are good, and I don't know's are, are fucking scary, right? When, when someone enters a room and they're talking about a deal, the first thing I say to them is, have they told you want, they want to buy your product? And they go, yeah, they have. And I say, no, no, no. Have they explicitly said to you, we want to buy your product? And they go, no. I go, okay, well, what's the first question you're going to ask them? We're going to call them up and go, look, just want to check at this stage because we've invested a lot of time in this. Is this something you guys are serious about buying? 
Yes, great. And then we know they're going to buy it. Not assuming they're going to buy it. And budget's a funny one as well, right? I always say to people, like, have they agreed you're the vendor of choice? Yes. Have they told you they've got budget? Yes. Have they told you the budget's going to you? Oh, shit, I don't know. You know, and that's the key thing, like asking those pointed questions to see if the, uh, the rep has asked those pointed questions to the customer. Okay, well, this is great. So, but how do we do that, Aaron? Because my experience with some of these qualification frameworks is that they can present like a checklist, like an ugly checklist. And it feels a bit like you're interviewing your prospect, you know, if you go by like, so Mr. Prospect, so do you have budget? I sort of picture myself sitting there with my legs crossed with a clipboard, you know, and they're across the desk, you know. So, Aaron, do you have a budget? Yep. Okay. And how much is that? Yep. Thank you. I'll just check that. Uh, Time frame is next on the list. So when do you think this might happen, Aaron? You know, and you know, I cringe at that. And so you should, because it is cringeworthy. <laughs> I think where people go wrong, right, is that a decent, well-functioning sales organization should have a qualification methodology, a sales process, and a sales methodology. And the three are very, very different. And what people do is they often just have one. So let me just briefly explain what I mean by that, right? And a really good analogy is baking a cake, yeah? When you open a recipe book of a, of a cake, what's the first thing the recipe book tells you? It tells you the list of ingredients that you need. And that's what qualification is. Here's the information you need to know. And then it tells you the instructions. This is how you bake the cake. You turn on the oven, you whisk the eggs, you sift the flour, and that is your sales process. This is what you need to do. And then lastly, you've got your sales methodology, which is the skills on how to do it, right? So as an example, whisking an egg is fine, but how do you whisk an egg properly? Do you see what I'm saying? So what a salesperson needs to know is the ability to qualify, to need to know the important information. The ability to actually follow a process and walk the customer through that process and add value during that process. And then lastly, the methodology is how do you do it him well? You know, like asking open questions is one thing, but asking open questions for them to be conversational is something totally different. So if you have a sales organization, you've got to bear in mind those three things, the qualification methodology, the sales process, and the sales methodology. If you get those things right, you'll have a wonderful Black Forest Gatto, whatever cake it is you're looking to break. <laughs> Again, I love that. I mean, your analogies are fantastic. So, but we're going to concentrate on qualification today, yeah? Yeah, but in answer to your question, you're right. If you just have qualification, it's going to sound like a questionnaire. What you need is to mix qualification methodology, and then it sounds like this is a conversation, and we're learning about the client during that conversation. So how do you train your people to do that? Well, first thing I do is I break it down into three things. Is the first thing I always teach people is qualification. So if you open your cupboard and there's only a load of flour in there, you're not going to have a good cake. So we teach them how to, to what information to look for. And then we bring in a sales process. This is when you need to look for that information. You can't start a conversation by saying, do you have budget or do you want to buy a product? You've got to go through a process. You've got to learn about their business. You've got to show them some value. You've got to bring in other stakeholders. And then over the top of that, we're constantly laying methodology. This is how you do it right. Here's the psychology of sales, the science of sales, the art of sales. And if you marry those three things together, it doesn't sound like a questionnaire when you're going through your qualification. It sounds like you're having a business conversation, but more importantly, you're adding value to the customer through that experience. And never forget that, right? Is that people don't just buy your product to get value. They get value from the experience of you selling to them. You open their mind up to things they didn't know about. You educate the customer in that process. You build a relationship, and that's true value. I agree, and I think that it's important that salespeople take the mindset that every interaction they have with their clients should be valuable for their clients. And this is where I think the qualification piece becomes difficult because that often feels like a one-way interrogation. 100%. It's like this, right? And here's like a kind of a practical tip about it, Mark, is that if you were my champion and you had to go and sell up into the business, into the C-suite or to the economic buyer, 
one of the first questions I'd ask you is, look, I know you're not responsible for the budget, but do you truly want to get this into the business? And if they say yes, I'll say, well, look, you and I are going to have to work together to build a business case. To do that, I'm probably going to have to ask you quite a lot of questions because I want this business case to absolutely rock the socks off of your CEO. Are you prepared to sit down with me and help me build a business case? Yes, I am. Then you've earned the right to ask those qualification questions, the metrics or you know, the buying process or process to close. You've earned the right to do that through the relationship you've built with the champion. Yeah, now you've got the opportunity to sit there and, and whiz through a bunch of different questions that's going to give you some real clarity and you've got the acknowledgement that they're going to be involved in the process. Exactly right. And it's a mutual plan as well, right? It's not like me going, go away and do this stuff. It's like, let's sit down together. We'll both invest in this. And again, you just deepen and strengthen the relationship. Okay. What else could we do? Well, loads of things, right? I think where a lot of people go wrong as a piece of advice, one thing they don't qualify on is they, they qualify the economic buyer or the person who's signing the check. But what they never qualify is what's motivating them to sign the check. So they find the economic buyer and they get really excited and to your point, they get happy ears and they go, great, we're now going to pitch the economic buyer. What I'd want to know is what's motivating them to sign the check. So look, I've got a learning and development budget, right? If someone from marketing came over to me and said, can we have some of your learning and development budget? The first question I ask is, well, what do we get out of it? Why should I give it to you? And a lot of times people go wrong with this is that you need to learn what's motivating them to sign the checks. Then you can position your product against their objectives as well. So they feel like they're not just signing a check. They're like, Christ, this is going to help me if we purchase this product. So it's about the depth of qualification you go into. And one piece of advice I'd give, and I guess this for me is the critical thing, is that people are obsessed with speed in a sales process. They're like, right, let's let's get it. What you're often doing is, is speeding up failure. Sometimes you have to go slower to go faster. So don't speed, as an example, the, the proposal if you're not there yet. Don't speed through the demonstration of value if you're not there yet. Have a, a criteria that needs to be met before you show them what you need to show them or before a proposal gets out because you're just getting quicker to a no, which can be dangerous because there might be an opportunity there. Is your outreach getting you labeled as a spammer? What once worked in B2B outbound doesn't work anymore. The goalposts have moved, and so must your approach to sales. Sure, you might land the odd conversation or even a reply to an odd cold email, but is it scalable? Will it provide you with enough revenue to hit your yearly goals? Having worked with sales teams all over the world, we see what works and what doesn't. Our new POW coaching program provides sellers with access to the very best training available today. It doesn't matter if you're a team of 50 or a team of one. We have flipped traditional sales training on its head and allow you to learn in your own time and still get the important coaching help that you need. Grab all the details at markmc.com slash pow. So one of the biggest challenges I see a lot, and I hope you'll agree, is that young salespeople, and when I say young, I don't mean age, I mean inexperienced, as soon as they've got the okay to start to talk to somebody, they go straight to the solution, you know, providing the solution, almost pitching. And I actually think that all of the work that you need to do before that is probably 70% of the sales process before you get to the point of providing a solution, probably even more actually, now that I think about it that way. When people are young, you know, they typically, oh, here's Aaron, he's going to talk to me, so I'll go straight to our solution. I like to stop and get them, get our prospects to actually say to us in one way or another, look, I think the next obvious step would be for you to go away and provide me with something written down. Like, so rather than force that proposal or, or whatever it is, the document that you're using onto the prospects, it's actually do enough work up front to get to the point where they're saying, can you please give that to me? And I think you'll find that 
salespeople will put out 50% less proposals. But what that means is you're spending your time on people that are more likely to do deal business with you and less time with those that have no intention of doing business with you. Absolutely brilliant. Yeah, I, I couldn't have summed that better myself. Look, the sentence that I'd have constantly in your head is that people hate to be sold to, but people love to buy. And the point here is that the best way of creating a purchase is getting the customer to buy the product from themselves. And the best way of doing that is questioning them. The literature around this is overwhelming, is that the buying takes place in the questioning stage. And when you bring your product in, all it's doing is dotting the I's and crossing the T's. So by asking those questions that are going to help the customer realize there's a problem, they start buying it themselves. And then they turn around to you and go, great, well, look, let's talk about when we can get this in the business or how do we speed this up or can you get a proposal over to me? And they're client-led actions. Client-led actions in a qualification process or in a sales process are so valuable. We don't concentrate on client-led actions enough. Like, let me give you an example. Me sending a proposal out and getting excited means absolutely nothing. A client asking for a proposal is interesting because it's a client-led action. And if I were to build a sales team today, the whole process would be built around client-led actions, not sales-led actions. The sales-led actions are really easy. All I need to do is a mail merge and send out a thousand proposals to everyone in my, uh, you know, my contact list. And then there you go. I get my target of proposals sent. Doesn't mean anything. Yeah. How many CRMs have got you know proposals sent as you know sixty five percent of the way through the sales process on their CRM? You know, so I've sent the proposal, boss. Oh, this deal's qualified. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> so look, I, I love this chat. But is there a framework that you know you like to use? Should you? Do you have your own? I mean, there's so many that are around. I mean, I've got my own, and I'm not going to put that out there because there's you know it's already there's enough out there. What do you use? Yeah, I'm fairly agnostic when it comes to qualification processes because, look, there's, it's a bit like, you know, going to buy a shirt, right? It's the right shirt for the right occasion, the right size, the right cost point. And I think if you're a customer and you've got a very, very quick deal cadence and you can win a deal in a week, you can probably do a slightly less robust qualification like a band or a pat. Myself, I think medic or mid-market, you know, probably 60-day deals, 30k plus deal value and medic sufficient. You might want to do med pick, which brings into the paper process and, and competition. If you're doing enterprise, then you need a much deeper qualification process. But look, my point is, is that it's the right tool for the right job. And look, they've all got their merits and they've all got their values. In our organization, we use medic because it's like the sweet spot for what we do. I've also created my own qualification methodologies. I actually created one, a sales process as well, like I said to you, which was just around customer-led actions. So hard gates, you can't move one up into another stage until the customer's done this. Not until you've done this, until the customer's done this. And it just cuts away the bullshit for years. I like that. That's very clever. So salespeople have been listening to this and being, and they're now feeling a little bit exposed, maybe. You know, oops, I've done a few of these things in the past. What steps can they take? So I'm Mark here. I realize I maybe uh, need to pick my game, pick up my game on the qualification piece. Where do I start? What should I do? It's a bit like being an alcoholic, right? The first thing you do is you need to admit that you're you're doing it wrong, right? You admit that you've got to <laughs> You'd be amazed, right? Be listening to this going, God, I do that. Never mind. Let's carry on. But look, the key thing for me, right, is that it's think about it like this is that if you were going to buy a TV today, what information would you need to know to purchase that TV? And fundamentally that's criteria. Now think about that in terms of your client. What information would you need to know to be confident to say, this client is going to buy our product in this timeline, on this date, and here's when they're going to start using it. So what do we need to consider? Let's take Medic as an example. Metrics, learn about the metrics of the client because they're great for building business cases. They're great for helping champions sell up further into the business because it shows tangible return on investment. Economic buyer, you want to know who the economic buyer is because they're the person signing the check. 
to get this idea of decision makers. Everyone's a decision maker from the end user to the IT department to the bloody cleaning lady. Everyone can be involved in a decision. What you really want to know is who the economic buyer is. Decision process. When are they going to buy it? How do they buy it? When the legal get involved? When the procurement get involved? Who needs to be there? Decision criteria. What boxes need to be ticked for them to purchase it? What does it need to do? Identify pain. Standard. If you're not identifying pain in sales at this stage, you might as well go home. And then lastly is champions. Have you got a strong, robust champion? Have you stress tested your champion? Have you activated your champion? If you can ask questions around all of those areas, you've got a pretty good indication that you've got a deal there. And here's the thing to your point before, Mark, is that this isn't about calling a customer and getting that first time. This is about unearthing that information during the life cycle of an opportunity. It might take you 10 calls, 50 emails, two carry pigeons and some smoke signals. But as long as you get the information, that's the most important thing. And just for new reps, so if they've only got, so there's six things there to tick, what if they've got, you know, four of the six? Do they abandon ship or should they just go back and work and try and find out the rest of the information? When does that become a no deal in your eyes? When the customer says they're not going to buy your products, they don't have any budget, or I'm not going to put you through to the person who needs to buy it, or I don't know what the decision process is. Because either they're not someone who can influence the deal, they're not someone who can buy your product now, they don't have a problem that you can solve, or the person who can buy it doesn't want to talk to you and isn't motivated to talk to you. So again, it's like, it's that criteria of buying a shirt. If you turn up and it's not your size, you're not going to buy it, right? It's no, no point trying to squeeze into it because you're never going to buy it. And again, qualify out. Don't spend time trying to do it. Qualify out. But here's the thing, right? And it goes back to what we said before. You either know it, you don't know it. And if you don't know it, go and find it out. So every time you call a client, you should never be checking in. You know that whole kind of, hey, just checking in to see how things are going. They're not your nan. Like if you want to go and check in on someone, go and check in on your nan, right? You should always be driving with an agenda. The reason I'm calling you today is because there's a couple of bits of information that are missing. I didn't learn enough about your buying process. We didn't talk enough about who's actually signing the check. And I'd love to learn a little bit more about the quantifiable metrics and how you're measuring success on this project. Cool. Let's sit down and do it. You've got an agenda and you're driving it forward. And the client, the client will respect you, respect you more because you're respectful of their time. Yep. I think that's a really easy way for people to have some structure in their follow-up calls. And I hate even calling them those. Um, and what's the worst thing that can happen? You know, the prospect will say, hey, Aaron, you're jumping the gun here, mate. I don't think we're that far advanced. Terrific. You can take them out of your pipeline. You know, you can move them backwards. Me and my wife often take our little dog for a walk and um, our dog goes over and sniffs the flowers. And my wife looks at me and says, oh, wow, look, she's sniffing the flowers. And I turn around to her and say, she's not. She's sniffing another dog's urine that happens to be on the flowers. It's not the right thing to say, believe me, but it's the truth. And this is the case with sales. You just want the truth. As painful as it is, as hard as it is, you just want the truth. Yeah, we're much more comfortable if we just believe our fantasy sometimes, Aaron. Yeah. So uh, that's, why <laughs> that's the reality. That's why we've got yeah. So that's why we're talking about it today. Mate, I've really enjoyed what you've shared here and the way that you've shared it. The analogies are fantastic. I, I can't wait to share this more widely. Is there anything that you'd like to share with BDMs, AEs, anybody who's in this position out there, full cycle reps now? Is there anything else that you'd like to share You know, in the next minute, a minute's worth of takeaway? Yeah, I think, look, just think of qualification in that way, right? Like as in, what exactly do I need to know to, to be confident that I can forecast this deal? Go and do some research on Medic. Go and do some research on PACT, on BANT. See which information is important in your deal cycle and make sure you're getting it. If you're struggling, I've got a YouTube channel that has videos on all of this qualification methodology, Aaron Evans Sales Training on YouTube, and I'm sure Mark will be kind enough to put a link in the description. So if you want to go and look at some of those videos as well, there's help. Or if you want to reach out for any frameworks, just give me a shout. I give all my content away for free. Wow. How good is that? So of course, Aaron, I will stick all of that stuff into the show notes everywhere that they're posted. 
Uh, what about LinkedIn? Are you open to connections, conversations? Absolutely, yeah. I share one LinkedIn tip a day around sales, uh, leadership, coaching, or training. So uh, feel free to connect, have a conversation, chat if you need any help, or if you just want to share some ideas. I learn a lot on this process as well, so it's helpful for me. Aaron, thanks for coming on the podcast. I think we might need to get you back to talk about negotiation or something like that. Would you be open to that? Yeah, absolutely. Always have to help. Aaron Evans, really appreciate you being on the Boss Podcast. Thank you very much. My pleasure. How would you like a copy of Tactical Pipeline Growth sent directly to you? You see, I need a little help and I'm prepared to swap you for it. All you have to do is leave an honest review about this show because it would really help other listeners to find us. And it helps us to find more great guests in the future. Guests just like Aaron Evans, who you've just listened to. The good news is it'll only take about 60 seconds to do this and you can probably access it directly from the device that you're now using. I'd really appreciate it. Simply leave us a review and then screenshot that and send it to me either via DM on LinkedIn or directly through my email and I'll send you the details of the book. I'm looking forward to reading those reviews. That's it for now. Thanks for listening. Ciao.